All right, so tonight we are in um, chapter 24, and uh, it's on page 131 if you're using uh, my compilation. Um, if you're just looking it up on the church website, it is in October 1987, the general women's meeting. And so um, this lessons from Eve was a, a really foundational talk, and it's interesting how it uh, plays out through the years, you know, from 1987 to the present, uh, how many times that he's talked about these similar principles and, and things, but uh, I find lots of nuances in this talk itself. Um, it's kind of interesting how his talks evolve over time, uh, what stays the same and, and, and what he keeps, but regardless, <laughs> these footnotes are, are extensive and uh, very deep to, to ponder through. Um, anyway, I'm just kind of opening it up. Like, what did you all learn from, from going through it this time? Um, had you heard it before or, or was this nude and, um, uh, refreshers course or what have you? Um, anyway, yeah, just open it up. What, what y'all got? We got nothing. <laughs> yeah, we, we don't have anything. <laughs> we we just... nothing. <laughs> so this, this is in October 1987. That was the year Cameron was born in October 11th. So I was huge pregnant <laughs> and probably didn't yeah, get that much out of the talk <laughs> at the time. I don't know. I don't remember any specifics of it actually <laughs> mm -hmm. i'm trying to find something i sent a message to my friend with a really good quote i wanted to share and she wrote something back let's see i thought it was text but i guess it was email yeah it's email okay so I didn't really put where it goes in here, but I, oh man, I should just put this in the chat so I can read it. And I really don't know where I got it. I told her, I said, I wish I had sourced this. This was before I was a family history major and cited everything. But it says, Eve, the mother, the mother of all living. God, after seeing that it is not good that man should be alone, decides then to create a helpmeet for him. Helpmeet for him in Hebrew is Ezer. We've talked about this, haven't we? Connect dough. The Hebrew noun Ezer or Ezer describes an equal. Ezer in the Old Testament is most frequently used to describe how God is an Ezer to man. It really doesn't have the connotation of a mere helper in, in any case in which it is used. A more accurate translation would be a power or strength. The noun Ezer occurs 21 times in the Hebrew Bible. In eight of these, the word means savior. He certainly had power, the influence of women in his life, and the perfect balance between his own male and female energy. The second word, konegdo, means exactly corresponding to. In Mishnic uh, Hebrew, the root kned means equal. The King James translation of konegdo, or meet for, is based on the 17th century meaning of meat as worthy of, which has been long out of its current usage. The scripture clearly teaches that God created woman to be a unified partner to her husband, exactly corresponding to him in every way. 
God, knowing no one could go through the battle of life alone and win, created a companion for man who would fulfill all of these meanings. Woman would be a strength to him and at times re rescue him with insights and her intuition. Woman is man's greatest ally. God created her to be an Ezer to man, his strength and power when all things are in balance. One of the things God, this last paragraph, one of the things God has given her is enmity for evil. Unlike men, scripture and the temple teach us that the matriarch is blessed with an inherent abhorrence to evil. This is called enmity. It was Eve who recognized Satan and pointed him out, recognized the face of evil. The first matriarch Eve, the mother of all living, was promised that enmity would provide her and the seed of the woman, her children, some power in the world of wickedness. The power of inherent love for her offspring as posterity or seed comes forth from the matriarch. She has responsibility in the patriarchal order to further enhance this natural enmity toward evil through good teaching and preparation for the coming ordinances of salvation and exaltation at the hands of her husband, the patriarch. So there's Eve and part of what President Nelson talked about, right? Like she is the example of leading Adam out of the Garden of Eden and considering the greater word uh, and the greater commandment of multiplying and replenishing the earth. And um, anyway. Yeah. Yeah, I love that. Um, that is uh, all of a sudden my brain left me. Sorry. <laughs> That's from uh, Val Brinkerhoff. It's a. Is it? Yeah, you I put it in, it in the, the chat there. Um, it's called, the article is called The Matriarchal Order, and um, that what uh, Alethea was quoting is on page like 12 and 13. Well, I'm super impressed that you knew where that was from. You're the uh -huh. walking citation. <laughs> <laughs> well, and then in response, and I won't read it, but she sent me, um, let's see, where is, okay. She sent me um, a link to the Church of Jesus Christ from an article about Eve and that was here I'm going to link that for you guys mm -hmm. um I thought it was from um the Bible dictionary but it wasn't I guess so anyways just a little bit more about um Eve having being a help me mm -hmm. yeah send yep okay so I'm a big proponent of Eve. <laughs> <laughs> yes, she gets a bad rap. And it's interesting how that, that plays out with, with many different female figures, right? But yet we, we know of um, uh, the greatness and uh, the lessons that, that we all can learn. You know, like President Nelson is talking about here. There, there's so <laughs> many uh, great things that, that Eve um, is a type and a shadow for and, and has given us. And, you know, as, as our mother, uh, the mother of us all, um, uh, we can all connect with her in, in deep ways. Interestingly enough, last night I studied about Deborah. Isn't that our come follow me this week? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Deborah, and that was super interesting. I learned a lot about Deborah. I didn't. Yeah, I love these weeks. You know, it kind of to me, it almost kind of begins with like Miriam there. And then um, as we, we progress through, right, with Rahab and, and Deborah, and uh, we, we get quite a few um, uh, very different um, uh, women's stories uh, here right in a row in Israel's history. 
It's been a fun one. So just kind of throwing out the question here in uh, verse 17, paragraph 17, um, he poses one question, which is kind of unusual. He's, he's morphed that over the years, right? And now he always has like five questions or here's five bullet points kind of thing. But here it's just one question in the middle of uh, his talk here. He says, what was the role of the priesthood in the process of creation? And it's interesting kind of what happens before and what happens after in his talk uh, kind of formulated around that question. But just throwing that out to, to you all, what was the role of the priesthood in the process of creation? And, and how do we um, how do we now have a, a greater conversation about that uh, with, with further light and knowledge through the years about the, the priesthood power of women and um, how all that, that plays out? Uh, here in, in the next few verses, like through 24-ish, uh, he gives kind of an interesting snapshot of um, the, the equal parts of, of the priesthood in the creation there. And I think we learned uh, quite a few things just about Adam as well. Yeah, didn't it say he... Uh, was in the first presidency? Uh -huh, yeah, yeah. So there in verse 19. Yeah. And this is before the earth was created, right? Uh-huh, yeah. So kind of stemming from verse 18, the priesthood is an everlasting principle and existed with God from eternity. Christ is the great high priest, Adam next. The priesthood was first given to Adam. He obtained the first presidency and held the keys of it from generation to generation. He obtained it in the creation before the world was formed. And so that's yeah. Joseph Smith. And then it goes into Brigham Young's quote. But but yeah, uh, quite a few little interesting tidbits there that um, as I was trying to pour through this talk, uh, were standing out to me in, in new and in interesting ways. I love the poem that Sister Nelson, cleaning and scrubbing can wait till tomorrow for babies grow up, we learned to our sorrow. So quiet down cobwebs, dust, go to sleep. I'm rocking my baby and baby's <laughs> Reminds me, my mom always said, there's nothing more patient than a sink full of dishes. <laughs> I love that. So if you need to take care of the kids, take care of the kids, you know. Mm -hmm. it's physically exhausting to have little kids but they really do grow up too fast and anyway i just love that poem mm -hmm. yeah it's very fitting isn't it i can attest to that because my baby just graduated high school <laughs> it just goes way too fast it really does <laughs> well it goes way too fast on that end but sometimes you think it's not going fast enough on the other huh? <laughs> i know you that's when you're true. in the middle I, of it you think it's never going to end yeah that's not true i loved having them around mm -hmm. um but i just think that's interesting your question about what was the role of the priesthood in the process of creation i mean you can't talk about the creation without talking about a human life being created too, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
Um, and I love how it says too, it says all the purposes of the world and all that was in the world would be brought to naught without woman, a keystone in the priesthood arch of creation. Yeah. I love that. That one got me sidetracked for like a good day. <laughs> I was just trying <laughs> to ponder on that little tidbit alone. Anyway, it was very Which fruitful. Which verse was that? It, the very end of 21. Mm. Yeah. It, <laughs> anyway, I I went on lots of different little scripture uh, chases or whatever you want to call them and stuff. Because that, that was very interesting. I've never heard of a woman being the keystone in the priesthood arch of creation like that before um that we have in an arch of creation uh you know because we have lots of different arches and you know the book of mormon is the, the keystone of our religion and, and stuff but to to put woman in the priesthood arch of creation i thought was very interesting wording and and all that that entails you know and i think it plays into verse 22 and 23 a lot um but anyway yeah i don't know <laughs> well, well, there what, oh go ahead there has they 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 care we you know we have the children so yeah it would be there would be no reason for the world if you didn't have a way to bring children to it that was my mm -hmm. thought yeah yeah and you just think of the importance, you know, and of women. I mean, when you think of the arch of creation, I mean, all of creation is an arch and, and he's putting women as the keystone in that. I don't know that that just wow. <laughs> Mm -hmm. Yeah, because it's not just the arch of creation, it's the priesthood arch of creation, and, arch of creation. and women are, are that keystone in it. It's very interesting. Um, so like in, in verse 22, you know, the bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh, um, she was taken out of man, and, and the whole rib thing, right? Um, <laughs> it was interesting going through uh, this talk again, because there for a while when I was younger, probably late teens or whatever, um, I literally thought that um, that men had one less rib than than women for some reason. I don't know where I got it or what happened. <laughs> but then when I was reading verse 23, and it's talking about that, uh, was it dog ribs? Yeah. So animals, uh, such as dogs and cats, have 13 pairs of ribs, and human beings have one less with only 12. And I thought that was an interesting, like, correlation. I was like, oh, that's probably kind of where I got it, but, like, skewed it and, <laughs> and misinterpreted it or something. I don't know. But um, anyway, so what are your all's studies and thoughts on, on the rib? Like, yes, there's, there's literal aspects to the, the creation account and there are symbolic uh, things of the creation account. But what do we learn from the rib? Uh, President Nelson explains this. I've heard lots of different takes on it, but like, but why do we have that symbolism? Why, why the rib? I just throw that out. That's my own question for <laughs> tonight. Well, obviously partnership, that's what, you know, the coming as it does from the side seems to denote partnership. 
Yeah, and also the, I can remember this, right? Uh, when Eve represents the church in um, women, the church. Like the marriage and, covenant, like who's married to the savior, right? Uh -huh. The woman, the church, the whole church being married to him. And so when um, the church wasn't really born until uh, Jesus died on the cross. And um, there's that hole from the side, the rib, the side where he was pierced with the spear. I think she's frozen. Oh, okay. I was like, man, that's, she's really in deep thought there. <laughs> anyway, if you pop back on, we'll, we'll catch you. But yeah. Carlene, that, you're frozen. <laughs> I don't know how to fix it for my end. Sorry. Um, but yeah. Oh, so, I, I was going to say that this week I went and saw the tabernacle that the, the full-size tabernacle that they're showing in Utah mm -hmm. and was kind of talking just to build on what uh, Darlene just said. It was interesting that, you know, we know that the tribe of Levi were the ones who actually participated in the ordinances of the temple. But they had to be, come through um, Aaron, right? And mm -hmm. uh, in the Old Testament, it had to be from Aaron as a male. But it was interesting that when Christ was dead, when he died, that the veil in the temple rent, correct? Mm -hmm. Yeah. But then it was saying that as the temple, and I was talking to Elder Cutler about this, and also the person who actually put the exhibit together here in Utah. And it was interesting because once the temple veil was rent, it was then that it was rent for everybody and that both men and women, not just men, but men and women were then invited to take the horn and the power and to come through and to uh, come into Christ and, and have the blessings with all the priesthood and everything. And I'd never really put that together before, but you know, just to build on what Jesus said, you know, if that's you know, when Christ died and ushered in everything that's just amazing and now you see where president nelson is just spending so much time on the fact of what he said in his talk that the priesthood is the power of god and your and covenants are to bless men and women alike mm -hmm. and i thought oh my goodness yeah yeah it's very fascinating isn't it So I can almost guess what my mom's going to say. <laughs> so, but um, she's still frozen. Yeah. So <laughs> I'll, I'll interpret for her, but um, cause she, she loves uh, studying this and pointing it out that all covenants have blood, water, and spirit at them, right? All, all covenants and all births. And so um, that the church wasn't born until his side was pierced and blood, water, and spirit gushed out kind of a thing. That, <laughs> I'm guessing that's what she was going to say. She's rebooting right now. It's going to okay. take her a minute. And uh, 
Did everybody ask her what she had on her mind, please? Because <laughs> I told her to get ready. <laughs> All right. So while we're waiting with that, let me give you one more thing that just jumped out of me. You know how we as Latter-day Saints, and of course I'm a convert, but, you know, and maybe you guys feel different than me, but, you know, so many people think that the church was restored in 1820, right, with Joseph Smith and everything. But once you go through this exhibit, you fully understand that we are an ancient and we go back in time many, many thousands of years. And we're just restored with that. You know, we hear about that, but when you see the tabernacle and everything that was done and correlated to the Solomonic and Davidic temple, and then you coordinate it to the temples here and then to the temples around the world, you get this wonderful feeling that, yeah, this is, this is something that started eons ago and that it is an ancient church and we just happen to be in the fullness of time with all these temples. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, thank you. That would be so fun. I, I haven't made it down to, to that exhibit or anything. I really want to. But sounds like a blast going, going through that and experiencing it firsthand. All right, Mother, are you finally connected? <laughs> yes. I shut my whole computer down. I don't know. Maybe I'm not supposed to say <laughs> what I was trying to say. Did you understand what I was trying to get at? I mean, kind of, but go ahead. But, but that's shutting down again. <laughs> but that's why it was so important that John made note of that there was blood, blood and water that came from out of his side, because that you need blood, blood and water for birth, and it was the birth of the church, and from this side. So there's that representation. If that. Am I saying that good enough that you know what I'm saying? <laughs> I kind of bumbled through it. <laughs> no, you're good. Yeah. So that that rib metaphor, that that side, that partnership. Yeah. That, yeah. that birth happens out the side <laughs> out the side, I guess. No. In a covenant relationship. Yeah. When okay. like equal partners kind of a thing. Well, yeah. It, because Eve represents the church, and that and the, the church came out of that. Mm -hmm. I didn't explain it very good. Sorry. <laughs> You're good. We got it. <laughs> yeah. Um, so kind of uh, looking at those uh, five different bullet points there in, in verse 25, <laughs> and I didn't realize I had a... Um, not a typo, but anyway, I typeset it wrong and left out one of the bullet points. Um, but anyway, there's supposed to be five there in that list. But um, here's five fundamental lessons of everlasting importance. I find that phrasing interesting as well. She labored beside her companion. She and Adam bore the responsibilities of parenthood. She and her partner worshiped the Lord in prayer. She and Adam heeded divine commandments of obedience and sacrifice. She and her husband taught the gospel to their children. Now, 
those things are kind of like I don't know, like the family proclamation, like, well, yeah, duh, all of them. But when we like dive into them and uh, look at them, like, I think there's a lot of um, lots of deep truths to, to study uh, with with all of those. And so I, I really appreciate how he goes through uh, each of them and, and really fleshes those out. But yeah, anything that uh, kind of hits you from from any of those? You know, the, the first one kind of laboring beside her companion, um, you know, that that partnership from the, the rib metaphor that we seen earlier. I just all of these, I just feel like every single one of them, there's something that is kind of like the family proclamation, something that is being attacked in our world right now you know like in the first one um it takes a man and a woman to make a man or a woman without the union of the sexes neither can we exist nor we become perfect um the complete contribution of one partner to the other is essential to exaltation and you know how how is that just being attacked right now in the world all of that you know we're just we're told that anybody can have a baby and that it doesn't matter what you were born you can be whatever you want to be and that you know you you do you don't need a partner you can you know just do it on your own just stay single and do whatever you want I don't know it's just it's it's so crazy how things are so mixed up right now i mm -hmm. i just i i pray for our world every day <laughs> yeah those babies that are being born into those very confused homes uh, i just my heart goes out to them mm -hmm. yeah. our they son don't have a chance really our son having just had their baby on monday morning uh, shared a video with me of a woman who had a baby and she's talking to the baby saying, I let you live. And oh. you're just lucky that I let you live. I didn't have to let you live. And it was like, are you kidding me? Mm. Are you kidding me? And of, it, somebody was watching it and making comments about it and just appalled by it. But anyways, it just made me so sad. I let you live. I just can't even imagine anyway. Yeah, I mean, we live in, in such a crazy time. You know, we look back at Sodom and Gomorrah or, or this and that, you know, throughout the, the ages of, of time. But man, we have a, a wicked world. And, uh, you know, our, our youth are, are having to be uh, faced with some crazy challenges, <laughs> ever increasing. Yeah, it just reminds me of, um, just reminds me of, I think it was either Sodom and Gomorrah or Noah's Ark when something I was reading um, and it was saying that, I think it was Noah's Ark because the Lord destroyed the world because it had reached an, an agency um, destroying point, you know, that, that these children coming up no longer really had their agency to choose right or wrong they they just because they didn't 
know they weren't taught right or wrong. They, you know, and I, the world is coming to that point. I mean, mm -hmm. if not already there, it's just, it's incredible to me. How? Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, L. Yeah, it's interesting. You were talking about babies and she let the baby live. I, you know, and I heard something the other day and I never thought of it. I just knew abortion was not right and it was evil. But I was listening to some video or a podcast and it made it all very real. It said, if a pregnant, if a mother is pregnant with a baby and you kill the mother, you're held for manslaughter of two people. Yep. But a mother can kill her own baby and it's not considered manslaughter. So that is the mixed up world we live in. I never thought of it that way. Mm -hmm. So why, you know, just doesn't, it doesn't make sense. Yeah. You know, nothing makes sense anymore. You can kill your own child, but someone can't kill you if you're pregnant and they'll go to jail for it. But you won't go to jail for killing your own child. That doesn't, mm -hmm. ugh, it doesn't make sense, but well, it just made it come home to me. I always want to say that when, you know, um, construction is halted or we can't drill for oil because of the animals and their nesting habits or whatever, um, I want to say, well, if you're saying that life begins at conception for animals, why does it not for us? Right? Mm -hmm. Like, I don't, I get frustrated because I think why are people, especially those in law, politics making that argument like then that means that we don't have to stop construction because there is no life do you see what i'm saying yeah, yeah. It's by yeah. your definition there is no life and so if mm -hmm. you're saying that animals have life we are animals mm -hmm. so later in the talk he makes it really clear when he says for the wrath of god is provoked by governments to legalize abortion. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's pretty black and white. Yeah. And then I thought this was really interesting. Number 28, it says, in any sense of competition for place or position is not appropriate for either partner. And yet exactly what we've been talking about, that's what's going on with these families, right? It's like we're all competing to be either the man or the woman. Mm -hmm. yeah exactly just going back and forth whatever <laughs> it's almost as if it, it's like a toddler with a tantrum of <laughs> i want whatever they want whether they want it or not like a better example <laughs> my, my dog because that's what i relate to right <laughs> she wants the toy that all the other dogs are playing with she doesn't want her own like she, she just wants to go with it kind of thing and um, uh, this competing back and forth, any sense of competition for, for place or position. Men are wanting to be women and women wanting to be men. And then once they get it, then they're not happy and they want to go back and, and then flip flop back and forth. And, and it's, <laughs> there's no rules. There's no logic. There's, it's just it's a quest for satisfaction or a quest for belonging or, or power. And then once you actually do achieve the the thing that you thought would give you uh the end goal then 
and you're like, well, that, that wasn't it. So I'm going to go back and I'm going to uh, try to keep searching for it. But yet we're all searching for the wrong things. And, and here the, the plan or, or the pattern with Adam and Eve um, lays out. If you, if you do these things in the proper order, um, then you have all of the blessings of, of heaven uh, showered upon you kind of thing. But yeah, like what you said there, the, <laughs> the competition is, is not okay for, for either partner. And then I thought it was interesting, the end of 31, remember this was given what, 30 some years ago, right? Mm -hmm. As take time for spiritual regeneration. And I thought, oh my goodness, if that's not speaking to us in our world today, nothing is. Yes. I'm really intrigued in that bullet point. Is it the third one that you didn't put a bullet on that says she and her partner worship the Lord in prayer? Like how mm -hmm. often do we do that? Do we even know other than the prayer that we do at the temple? Like, I don't know. I just think that's interesting. And as I'm reading that and thinking about they heeded divine commandments of obedience and sacrifice. Wow. There's only one place you really learn about that. Right. And I don't know. Mm -hmm. She and her husband taught the gospel to their children. And yet that how corrupted has that become with the traditions of men? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So then the question, I guess, then is going back to worshiping the Lord in prayer, do we go to the Lord to find out what those traditions of men are and what the true gospel, does that make sense? Mm -hmm. To find out what the Lord wants us to know and to teach our children. Yeah, having him an equal partner in, in the marriage and in the partnership, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So. So anyway, I don't know. Those were some things I was thinking about. Yeah. Verse 33 really kind of stands out to me in the different ways that he's approached this same exact sentiment in, uh, you know, throughout the years. But I'm glad that Sister Nelson has not tried to be a super mom, but she has been a soothing mom. Uh, this she has done by simply being herself. And, you know, how many different times have has he issued a a challenge to to get off comparisons and social media and things like that like take a break and ground yourself again because you know you see all of these super moms or or whatever have you and and it, it <laughs> got to realize that um uh, like like Rossanne was saying that little uh, poem there is uh, exactly the crux of it babies don't keep they grow up way too fast and uh, if we're just trying to be super mom then it's it's kind of losing the point of, of the kids all along the way. But yeah, I, I found that interesting because he expresses that same thing, but in, in different ways and, and stuff throughout the years. But that really makes me think of if you're trying to be a super mom, then really what's the, the point of having children is to make you look good, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's not the point of having children. And, and that's more of a selfish, I don't know. I don't know. Mm -hmm. I'm just saying that's not <laughs> why we have children is to look good. Right. Although my one son, my oldest son said the only reason we had kids was to make ourselves look good. <laughs> <laughs> and I 
said, oh, honey, I looked much better before I had you. <laughs> well, I think a lot of, uh, I think that what's happening a lot in the world is that these, you know, these um, same-sex couples or these transgender couples, they're, they're having children as trophies. Mm-hmm. That's why they're having children to show the world, look what we, we are a family, like it, and the babies are just put on display on social media and used as, it's like a, um, you know, to try and gather it's like likes a, not and just engagement. Transgender, it's like that in just regular families too. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to say just, that even regular so families put their, are just put doing their trophy, trophy children. Yeah. Yep. That's exactly, you said exactly what I was trying to say. Thank you. <laughs> I feel like that happens a lot here in Utah. I know my neighbor, I walk with her and they could. Alethea keeps freezing and. Yeah, sorry. It, oh, it I keep coming. freezing. Is that what it is? Yes. Sorry. I left my door. I'm right by the internet. I don't know why I don't always get good reception. My neighbors, they couldn't have children and they adopted four children from the same mom, different dads. And they all have, well, she was a drug addicted prostitute, but they all have um, social issues. They all have issues. Anyways, she told me when we first started walking that she feels bad when everybody talks about how good their kids are, all their accomplishments. And she's like, my kids will never do that. And it makes her feel less than, Mm. and I just, you know, I'm like, you know, we are proud of our kids, but don't we need to, like, we, by posting it everywhere and bragging, that's not really the point, right? Really, we should just be telling our kids we're proud of them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and we it, kind it just, of, like, actually like that my, trophy. Yeah, how good my kids are make me look good. And see, I was a good mom. Look how good my kids are. And that's (laughs) Mm -hmm. that's not really the point. Mm -hmm. So, and she, she and her husband have been great parents and they, yeah, but she doesn't feel that way because her kids aren't getting all the degrees and everything that everybody else's kids are getting. I think she's amazing for raising children that came into the world with that. Mm -hmm. She doesn't know, she doesn't, they don't have her baggage. They have someone else's baggage. And yep. so she, it's amazing to me that people, that's just a huge, huge undertaking to raise someone else's child as your own. Yep. Their youngest is it's 19. They have, they have a set of twins. One, they had to get a restraining order against. The mm. other one is 19. And then they have a 21 year old. And then they have one that's, on, kind of on her own, but she's just working at PetSmart 20 hours a week, but mm-hmm. you know, doing the best they can. Yep. Yep. And she's still raising these two that are at home, like really having to be, I don't know. I just think it's not about the accomplishments of our children. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And especially the worldly accomplishments of our children. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's such a contrast to like what Adam and Eve hear uh, that last 
bullet point. You know, they taught the gospel to their children. It's not all the other worldly things, you know, they didn't, you know, my son invented fire. My son invented the wheel. You know, it's about the well, gospel. Then one, <laughs> then one of their sons killed his brother. I mean, yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Know, it, yeah. I'm yeah. looking for, I don't have your version of this talk. Um, there's somewhere near where he talks about, I saw it, but I don't know what verse it was because I don't have anyway about personal revelation it's so interesting to me that back in 1987 he was talking about receiving personal revelation i'm trying to find where that's at but uh-huh. i saw it once but then i'm i'm on oh, the... i know where it is um it's it's in the third even her partner worshiped the lord in prayer at the last paragraph of that I plead with the women of the church to accept individual responsibility to know and love the Lord, communicate with him. He will impress upon your mind inspiration and personal revelation to give you strength. Is that it? Yes. Where yeah, is that? I just, Verse 38. Um, Verse 38. So it's, it, I just, that just struck me. He has been talking about that for a long time and that is his you know, hear him. Um, I just, I just, I mean, I think, how old was I when he, I was 15 when this talk was given, so I'm pretty sure I didn't listen. Um, (laughs) (laughs) So that's just really, that just really struck me that he's been talking about that for a long time. Yeah. It's interesting when I put this uh, compilation together, um, I had, had got all of his talks except for one um, back even before he was an apostle when he was um, the president of the Bonneville Stake at the time. And the mm-hmm. talk is called Placing Our Homes in Order. And uh, when I finally read that, well, somebody sent it to me and I was like, oh my goodness, he's he's literally been talking about it even before he was an apostle, before he was the um sunday school general president or, or anything and it, yeah just like what you said oh my goodness here here's mm-hmm. the same things just approached maybe a little bit different wording or, or whatever mm-hmm. but same principles like he's he's had it all along yeah the cool. end of 37 was also really cool where he says that the power of prayer will protect you and be a shield for your loved ones mm-hmm. Yeah. It's interesting how he, he brings up shields a lot, um, especially back in, in the, the 80s here. You know, and just kind of looking at, at his own personal life, you know, he has how many daughters and stuff and uh, looking at, at protecting them and uh, getting them ready for life and, and how he's applying all of these things that he's learning. Uh, and stuff is, is kind of interesting. It was interesting how um, he tells how his his daughters taught him a lesson when he was they were fishing and it was getting late and there's he was <laughs> kind of toying with the idea 
getting up early and, and continuing that on the Sabbath. Boy, those little girls just, especially the little seven-year-old, you know, just really brought it home to him. And and now, I mean, he's a he's given such wonderful talks on keeping the Sabbath day holy and and that. But but here he is. He's he's given credit to his daughters for, you know teach him a good lesson there <laughs> you know you know and those are some good principles for a seven-year-old to to be catching in the moment and you know reiterating like daddy would you eat those fish and then would you even ask heavenly father to bless fish that you caught on the sabbath <laughs> like i mean she's just right to the point you know uh, you know he says uh Knowing that the next day was Sunday, I jokingly said, if we could get up tomorrow two hours earlier, you know, but it's not even funny to joke about, <laughs> you know, this is this yeah. is serious business to a seven-year-old. I mean, it got him. I, I thought that was so tender. Mm-hmm. It was probably a good teaching moment for his daughter, too, you know, to mm-hmm. realize really what she believed in you know and the and her testimony of that principle so that's kind of cool mm-hmm. it's a good teaching moment for him to teach his daughter yeah mm-hmm. <laughs> you know i even liked the the blood money <laughs> tithing a uh, thing or whatever that was uh, a, a funny little quote because you know Dancel was kind of before my time or at least before I you know started really paying attention to apostles and, and their their families and stuff but um anyway this kind of gives like a little insight into to her character you know don't forget to pay tithing on my blood money um but such obedience was a tremendous lesson to me uh, her commitment to tithe became my commitment too I, I love how he keeps reiterating that, that com- their commitment became my commitment, that when women are committed, because they have that, that natural enmity, um, that, um, that that commitment transfers to, to the other party uh, and vice versa. I love also in that same section, um, I'm sorry, I don't have the, I didn't print out the other one, but um, it says our highest sense of sacrifice is achieved as we make ourselves more sacred and holy. This we do by our, our obedience to the commandments of God. Thus, the laws of obedience and sacrifice are indelibly intertwined. We come, we become more sacred and holy like our Lord. And I love that. And that made me think a lot, you know, how the laws of obedience and sacrifice are indelibly intertwined, you know, and how we learn about those, both of those principles, those laws are what we learn in the temple. So, you know, how important are both of those? So I just think that's something to really think about is how they're how they're intertwined together yeah yeah that's number 42 42 yeah but yeah it, you know <laughs> sometimes it's kind of interesting how 
um, our first connection with those two are in the temple when, you know, if, uh, if we're teaching our, our children and, and everything uh, and prepping them for the temple, uh, that obedience and sacrifice shouldn't necessarily be the first thing, the first time they hear it shouldn't be in the temple kind of thing. I, I butchered that, but, um, but yet I, I'm grateful for it regardless, <laughs> not saying that my mom didn't teach me obedience and sacrifice, but um, the, uh, the prepping for the covenants is, is sometimes lacking uh, amongst uh, that generation of, of, of the saints. So I thought it was the timeline was really interesting. This talk was given in 87, right? Mm -hmm. And Stephen R. Covey wrote the seven habits on the effective people. One of those habits is called synergy in 89. But he started back in about 85, 86 to develop these seven habits at BYU. Oh. I thought it was really interesting that in 51, he says, when the two of you are together spiritually, one plus one is clearly greater than two. I mean, and he is nailing that principle, mm -hmm. synergy. Yeah. And, you know, how crucial that is going to be for, well, is for Zion, you know, building Zion. There's no way that one person could just do it versus when we, we one plus one comes together, but also, you know, in, in greater and greater groups as we come together and work effectively, counsel together uh, in love and, and righteousness that it, it's clearly greater than either party could could do on their own i love that but yeah i hadn't put together the kind of the, the timeline there with with covey so 52 is just astonishing to me he says before you can teach talking about children right the gospel you must first begin to, uh, you must first learn your pre-mortal existence uh the creation the fall the atonement and the reason for mortality. And I thought, yeah, isn't that nice to know that he's telling us as parents, look, you've got to do your work too. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. Oh, sorry, go ahead. No, I was just gonna say about the synergy, that's interesting because aren't today we told that, especially women, you don't need a husband. You can just do it all yourself. Mm -hmm. And how Satan's plan is just going completely against that. You don't need a synergy. You are enough alone. And vice versa. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Anyway, I just thought that was interesting. Yeah. And, it, you know, just last week when we were studying all of the, the youth talks and um, I don't know. They're all kind of getting jumbled in my head. I need to separate them out better. But, uh, you know, when uh, they're talking about foreordination and, and pre-mortality and Sister Nelson talking about that scroll that our spirits come to imagine that each of our spirits came with a scroll attached to them with our uh, our mission, etc. Um, here was uh, Stefan was saying in 52. But before you can teach, you must first learn of your pre-mortal existence creation, fall atonement, etc. And um, how that really is our whole mission, whether as individuals, whether as parents, uh, etc., to um, to learn who who we really are and 
and then being able to teach and testify of that um, with with power and, and authority, right? I think that that's a, a huge one because I don't know the uh, we talk about pre mortal, but but nothing like President Nelson. He he really strives at home in in so many of his talks, um, finding out who you were and who you are to become uh, is, is a crucial thread uh, throughout the years. Do this oh. spiritual work and do it now, right? <laughs> yeah, time's running out. <laughs> so I joined the church a year before I went on my mission as a teenager. And I remember back then, some of you may not know this because you're so young, but back then the church used to put out numerous pamphlets about every subject, right? And, to, and I've kept these back 30, 40, 50 years ago, right? Um, I shouldn't say 50, but 40 years ago when these church put them out and I still have them all. And I made it, you know, I studied as much as I could knowing that I was going on my mission. And, you know, that's why we go to the MTC and we learn the gospel before we teach it. And so I read everything that I could put my hand on to learn the gospel because how in the world as a missionary can you teach the gospel if you don't know the gospel? Yeah. And then I just equate that to what he's saying about parents. How can you be a parent if you're not learning these things to teach what you're supposed to teach your children? Kind of the same. Yeah, exactly. I love that. It's a really good point. I like in uh, verse 55, uh, just kind of towards the end here, it says, your foes in a sordid society demean the sacredness of women and the sanctity of motherhood. Your world, sickened by unchastity and plagued with sexually transmitted disease, needs your righteous example. Um, uh, it kind of brings to mind the... <laughs> sorry all of the talks are running together tonight for me for some reason um where he says that um that if women uh falter or fall or, or something that the world will never recover right and it kind of makes me uh, think of that uh that we have actual foes in society uh foes to to women and how we need to fight against it push back against it because um, if the women uh, fall, the, the world will never recover. And look at the end of that, where it says, these forces serve to denigrate women now, just as they did in the days of Sodom and Gomorrah. That, yeah. wow, <laughs> that's pretty powerful. And look what happened to Sodom and Gomorrah. <laughs> <laughs> And verse 56, you can, you must make a difference. You are vital to the Lord's team. One team with one person, purpose, sorry. <laughs> Through your diversity, build strength in unity. Isn't that interesting? Because that's what we're having trouble with today. Find yourselves together in all holiness. Anchor yourselves to the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself, being the chief cornerstone. And remember in your mission back all about then? that unity, and that's what he just spoke about. 
what? And in our discussions as missionaries back in the 80s, you would teach about the chief cornerstone being Christ mm-hmm. and then compare that church to the LDS church. So I find that interesting that he uses that analogy here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But this just reminds me of his devotional he just gave, how he talked about we need to, you know, build our diversity and be united, not divisive. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That unity is going to be so key moving forward. Mm-hmm. Like you said, building Zion, you can't build Zion without unity, right? Right. Yeah. And then one of my favorite scriptures of all time is in 56. The devil shall send forth his mighty winds, yea, the shafts and the whirlwinds. Yea, when all the hail and his mighty storm shall beat upon you, it shall have no power over you to drag you down into the gulf of misery and endless woe because of the rock upon which you are built, which is a sure foundation, a foundation wherein if men build, they cannot fail. Great missionary scripture. Seminary scripture also. Yeah. (laughs) And it's interesting how how it's so applicable to every single year, every single moment of, of our lives, right? I mean, we are seeing some definite winds and, and whirlwinds and all of the stuff, uh, whether on a personal level or uh, a world as a whole, um, but how important it is to always be building upon that, that sure foundation because we know what's coming. <laughs> and so um, being prepared for that. It's interesting that he closes by invoking the blessings of, of God. So he doesn't uh, approach it like the other apostolic blessings that he does later on. But um, there, there's quite a few of his talks where he actually uh, uses the word invoke, meaning that he is um, using priesthood authority in order to bless. And so um, I found that uh, interesting. It's just a, a real succinct little uh, blessing. but. Um, may be successful in fulfilling your divine destiny and how important that that is for for all of us but yeah it, it's so fun to to study these three talks together so the um lessons from eve the um all of a sudden my brain uh i can you see i i got toasted today i might have affected something lessons from eve um the price price of power and the plea to my sisters oh yeah plea to my sisters yep um interesting how they're kind of the same talk but uh wrapped in in uh, different nuances uh they were so fun to to really pour through and, you know, especially all the footnotes, like I said before, um, this one deals heavily in Moses, which is uh, awesome, right? Uh, as we see that uh, in the process of time, <laughs> Moses, that, um, that much of our 
temple changes um, that President Nelson is instrumental in uh, focus uh, there in Moses. Yeah. Anything else in, in this talk that stood out that we want to touch on? Just kind of going last. Uh, next week is our, our last week uh, with President Nelson. Um, Group C is going to be doing all of his video addresses. So I, I've sent out that email that has links to all of the, the different things. So you can click on them easy. Um, uh, you know, next week is going to be a hard one because uh, to to reference and quote from, uh, since they are just kind of everywhere and, and everything. But um, if you do have the book, uh, we'll have like the, the chapters and verses. But, you know, um, just being able to, to watch any of those ahead of time or um, uh, uh, getting uh, reacquainted with them. So primarily like the, the hear him, the gratitude and, and the Easter one. Um, but again, I, I've emailed those out so you can access them. But um, group A is gonna be doing all of his tours from the, uh, uh, all of his interviews from the worldwide tours. And group B is gonna be doing his four dedicatory prayers, um, which is gonna be fun. Yeah. Any questions or comments as we go through? So we're going to have um, next week our, our last week on President Nelson, and then there's going to be a two-week, it's not going to be a break because we're still going to meet together, but um, a two-week interim <laughs> before we, we start the, the lectures on faith. Um, I'll, I'll have more on that. Uh, something to do with um, Lance Richardson's They Saw Our Day, but um, I haven't got all the details squared away on it yet hopefully it materializes but anyway we'll, we'll still be meeting but um it'll be just kind of like a two-week uh different topic uh, before we head into to lectures um but yeah so anyone that's wanting to do ham radio we're going to be doing uh, chapters one through three uh this saturday 10 30 a.m uh four donations isn't this weekend it's in the future I think that's all of the housekeeping. <laughs> Let's go. Um, I just have a question. I was traveling Saturday, um, so I didn't get to go to the Isaiah Dakota. Did you decide um, a schedule for summer? Oh, we haven't yet. Um, I've got quite a few responses, but I'm still checking with a, a couple other people and uh, getting that. So yeah, we'll talk about that on Saturday, uh, what our, our final schedule is. Yeah, if we're going to be okay. breaking or, or not for the summer. Okay. Most of them so far have said that they wanted to just go through the summer, but I don't know. We'll, we'll see. All right. Well, if there's nothing else, we will uh, a bit ado for, for tonight. <laughs> but yeah. Have a great week, everyone. Thank, <laughs> Thank you. Later. Bye. Bye.